Well, today we're closing out this series where we're taking a long look at who Jesus is. And what we've been saying throughout this series is that the answer to the question of who Jesus is, is so important because who Jesus is to you is the most important thing about you. And maybe for some of you who are new to church, you're kind of raising your eyebrow at that. Is that really true? Well, stick with me for a second. Who you believe Jesus is or what he did, what you believe about Jesus affects everything in your life. It does. It affects the way you view life. It affects the way you view death. It affects the way you go through successes. It affects the way that you get through hardships. Who Jesus is to you affects the way you view relationships, the way you view your purpose. It affects everything you can think of. And that's why this series is so important. And I hope and pray that it's been a blessing to you. As we get into the content for today, I want to talk a little bit about Jesus' life. Did you know that Jesus only lived about 33 years from the time he was born in Bethlehem until the time that he died in Jerusalem was only 33 years. And of those 33 Only the last three years were the years where Jesus went public with who he was and with his ministry. It was during just those last three years that Jesus would often travel between Galilee and Judea and back and forth again. It was during those last three years that he called the 12 disciples and taught them and mentored them because they were going to be the leaders of the Christian church after he left. It was in those last three years that he did those miracles, starting with changing water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And during those three years, he spent a whole ton of time preaching and teaching. In fact, and this is probably no surprise to you, Jesus was an amazing teacher an amazing preacher. In fact, people would flock from all over. Sometimes the Bible records thousands at a time sitting on hills to listen to Jesus preach and to listen to Jesus teach. His understanding, and this makes sense, his understanding of God and God's plan and how the Old Testament fits with Jesus being there right then and how it all applies to people's lives, it was amazing. His understanding, well, there was nothing like it. Now, here's a question for you. As Jesus taught and as he preached, you have an answer to this question. What topic did Jesus teach about the most? If you're online and want to put your guess in the chat box, that would be a, an okay thing to do right now. What do you think? What topic did Jesus teach about the most? Well, For what's written down for us, maybe you have some thoughts. Maybe you think the the topic was love and loving others. And Jesus did teach a, a lot about love. In fact, his teaching about how we are to love each other was revolutionary. Um, Jesus 
increased the status of women from where it had been in the culture to where it was supposed to be as an equal to men. Um, He taught about how Jews were to love even Gentiles. Jesus taught that you're not only supposed to love your neighbor, but you're even supposed to love your enemy. His teaching on love was revolutionary, but it's not the answer to this question. Maybe you're thinking, money. Didn't he teach a lot of parables about money? Yeah, yeah, he did. He taught a lot about money. That's because he wanted you to give all your money to North Cross. No, that's not why. He taught about money because he realized that the pursuit of money in life is so, so seductive. And that we can take this good thing like money, like material possessions, and we are in danger every single day to make it the main thing in our life. And when a good thing that becomes a main thing and pushes God to the side in our lives, it's a dangerous situation. Jesus taught a lot about money and it's understandably so. It's not the answer to this question. Maybe you're thinking heaven, nope, hell, Nope. Prayer? Not the answer. Judgment day? No. If you haven't guessed it yet, frankly, I'm not surprised. And as I studied for this message this week, I'm going to take part of the blame for that if you don't know the answer. Because while we often talk about some of the concepts you're going to hear today, I don't know that I've preached about this concept enough. The topic that Jesus taught about the most was the kingdom. About 125 times in the gospels, it's referenced Jesus teaching about the kingdom. A lot of his parables would start, and maybe this will ring some bells. The kingdom of heaven is like, Or the kingdom of God is like, but it's not just that it's mentioned a lot in the gospels. We see the bigger picture in a couple places. So right after uh, Jesus was kind of introduced to the public by John the Baptist, right after that, Matthew makes comments about what the rest of Jesus' ministry, his teaching and preaching ministry would focus on. In Matthew chapter four, here's what he writes. From that time on, after John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the public, Jesus began to preach. So he's saying from that point of his beginning preaching on till his death, the main theme was repent, turn to God for the kingdom of heaven has come. That was the central focus point of his preaching. And then after Jesus rose from the dead, some of you know this, he spent 40 days in the flesh here on earth, spending time with his disciples, showing the public that he was alive. And I love how Luke writes about what he did during those 40 days. Listen, After his suffering, Jesus showed or presented himself to the disciples and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Like, here's Jesus in the flesh. That would be a proof. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And what did he speak about? The kingdom 
of God. The thing Jesus taught the most about in his ministry, the topic that came out the most was the kingdom. And at this point, I know what you're thinking. You're asking the question, what's the kingdom? What does that even mean that Jesus taught about the kingdom? You know, we don't talk about this enough. Well, here's what it's not. Jesus wasn't talking about a place or a location. Um, He wasn't talking specifically or only about heaven, although heaven is related to it. He wasn't talking about, as maybe some Christians have been taught to believe or, and some Jews are still looking for, he wasn't talking about how the Messiah would come and establish this country on earth, the new garden of Eden before judgment day, where God's people can live sheltered from sin and live peace and and quietness. He wasn't talking about that. He wasn't talking about earthly glory or earthly fame, although the disciples were looking for that. What was he talking about with the kingdom? Well, (laughs) I'll confuse you a little bit more. When the Pharisees asked Jesus about the kingdom, here's what he said. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Confused yet? The most important part of the kingdom is not a place and it's not a location. The most important part of the kingdom of God is the king. And what I mean by that is this. Wherever the king rules in people's hearts, that's where the kingdom is. And things are going to change substantially uh, on Judgment Day when the king returns. And and that's something we're not going to get a lot into today because we don't have time. You see, there's entire books written about the kingdom of God. I only get 30 minutes. But if I could make it really simple for you, what is the kingdom? Our first fill-in for today. For our purposes today, I want to work with this definition. The kingdom is living your life with Jesus as the king. It's living with Jesus in the midst, in your midst. It exists wherever Jesus is ruling in people's hearts. And what I want to do today is I want to really hammer this really important point home about what the kingdom is and Jesus is our king by giving you two simple things to remember. Two simple things to remember about what the kingdom and the king is all about that I think is going to really help you better understand your relationship with God. Now, in the Old Testament, the people of God were waiting for the anointed one. In the Hebrew, 
You've heard this word. Anointed one is translated Messiah. Now, when we hear the word Messiah or Christ in the Greek, what other words besides Jesus, of course, what other titles do you think of when it comes to Messiah? For most Christians nowadays, I think probably the primary title that they think of is Savior. And that's a good word to think of. It's definitely on the right track. But if you were an Old Testament Jew or someone who lived at the time of Jesus, Savior would not be the first word you would think of. When you thought Messiah, when you were waiting for the anointed one, guess what word you would think of as a synonym or a similar meaning to Messiah? You would think not Savior, but King. This idea of a king coming is something that we don't think a lot about for whatever reason in 21st century Christianity, or maybe not enough, but would have been on the hearts and minds of the Jews all the time. And let me give you the fuller picture of why they would use it, because here's what a king did. A king saved his people. A king was a savior. He, a strong king, and his army would protect his people, would save them from enemies. But that's not all a king would do. You see, it's a much more inclusive word. A king would not just save his people. He would then set up a kingdom, and he would take care of his people, and he would protect his people, and he would provide for his people. He would actually dwell with the people. And so when the Jews were living through Old Testament times and up to the time of Jesus, even some still today, they were waiting and looking for a king to come. Well, this idea of Jesus being a king, it kind of crescendoed on Palm Sunday, the day we're celebrating today, when, as we talked about before, the line, the streets of Jerusalem were lined with people saying, Hail King, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, those hails and that praise, as many of you know, quickly turned as they discovered he wasn't the type of king that they were looking for. And a a bit of irony, do you know what the charge was that the Jews brought forward to the Romans to hopefully have Jesus executed? It was, this man claims that he is a king. And so this king imagery is all over the Old Testament and even in these last moments of Jesus' life. Now, as the Jews brought Jesus to the Romans, accusing him of being a king, the most powerful Roman ruler in Israel at the time. His name was Pontius Pilate. And we're gonna eavesdrop into a conversation that Jesus had with Pontius Pilate. It's about 7 a.m. on Good Friday morning. And here's that conversation. Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Jesus knew that he was only there because the Jews brought him there. Verse 35. 
Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. What does Jesus mean? My kingdom is not of this world. What he's talking about here is the purpose of the king. He's talking about what his purpose was in coming to this earth. He didn't come to kick Caesar off his throne in Rome and to give Israel back to the Jews. And that's why so many people were disappointed with him. He wasn't here to make his followers, the 12 disciples and anyone else that would follow him, famous and wealthy and powerful. It wasn't about an earthly kingdom. My kingdom's not of this world. And 2,000 years later, it's good for us to remember that Jesus doesn't rule our lives or is not king in our lives so that we have perfect lives or even happy lives. In fact, in certain places in the Bible, Jesus says that following the king is going to be the harder life. So what does he mean? My kingdom is not of this world. Let's go to verse 36, continue. If it were, my, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. You see, what Jesus is saying is, my kingdom's not of this world, but if I wanted to, I have a whole army of people, servants, angels that could come and would battle for me, would prevent my arrest. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, that's the reason I was born and came into the world to testify to that truth. Jesus is a king that chose not to display all of his power for 33 years. And yet <laughs> we see glimpses of it, even in the last couple days of Jesus' life, of just how powerful the king was. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there's a big group of strong guys that come decked out in armor with swords and clubs. They're there to arrest and beat Jesus. Jesus is there with, well, 12 guys. Not a match that would seem to make any sense or be a good fight. Jesus, if you remember, he says a word. He says, I am he. And the soldiers are forced to fall down because Jesus the king has that much power. Or how about Peter? Peter's still confused about what's all going on, what type of king Jesus is. So he's trying to fight for Jesus to be freed. He takes out his sword. He cuts off the ear of that guy named Malchus. And now I think this is kind of funny, actually. He's got this bloody ear on the ground. Now, what's the first thing you would do if you see a bloody ear on the ground? I would do nothing. Jesus gets down and picks it up. And then he like smashes it against the guy's head like it's going to stick or something. <laughs> and it does because Jesus, the king, is showing just how much power he has. Or how about even in 
the very last moments of his life. Do you know that Jesus did not die until he decided to die? It said that after all was complete, all sins were paid for, everything was fulfilled, then Jesus gave up his spirit. We see these little glimpses of the power of the king that he allowed to be veiled during his life on this earth. I'm gonna put it this way. Jesus came to earth in humility. He lived in poverty. But he chose that reality to be your king for eternity. His eyes were on something much greater than an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. His eyes were on being your king forever. So he came in humility. He lived in poverty so that he might give you heaven for eternity. I love also how Paul writes about the power of King Jesus. Uh, In Colossians 1, he writes, for in Jesus All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all government, all leaders, the most powerful people in history, Jesus is in charge of them. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And I love this phrase, in him, this needs to be some people's life verses, in him, all things hold together. He's holding us together. He's holding things together. Have you ever gone through a season of life where you ask the question, I don't know how I got through that. I know. Jesus held it together for you. And it was hard and there was pain, but you got through not because you're strong, but because Jesus held it together. And without Jesus, well, eventually, maybe not right away, but eventually, in every person's life, even if it's not till judgment day, without Jesus, all things fall apart. Jesus allowed himself to be veiled, his power He subdued for a while, but he is a mighty, strong king. And part of it, what it means to be in the kingdom, I told you two things. Here's the first one, is our next fill-in. King Jesus requires your allegiance. Here's what it means to live in the kingdom. Part of the kingdom is that we live under the authority of Jesus, We live under Jesus' rule, under his direction. You see, he may want you to be a part of the kingdom, but let's make no mistake, Jesus wears the crown. Jesus wears the crown. And in this kingdom, and this is hard for us to hear in 21st century America, where we believe that truth is relative. 
When it comes to be a parting part of his kingdom, the only truth that matters is what the king says. It only matters what the king says about truth, about life, about marriage, about sexuality. It only matters what the king says about the meaning of life and our purpose. And this might be hard to hear, but as people living in his kingdom, the truth about those things, they're, they're not up for a vote. He's not looking for your opinion. He's not looking for mine. He's, he's the king. And as people who live in the kingdom, we are called to simply trust and submit. And that's the hard part, isn't it? It's hard. Say it this way, it, it can be hard living under authority. Like there's something in all of us, especially Americans who love their independence. There's something in us that sort of chafes at the idea of a king who would tell us what to do. And for some of you, maybe that's the reason why you stayed away from church for so long or aren't all in when it comes to Jesus because you don't want someone telling you what to do or how to act or what to believe or to think. You know, I think some of that is because there is a whole lot of bad examples of authority. I mean, think about the authorities that you've lived under in your life and how often they've disappointed or have been in it for themselves. I mean, even starting way back as children, I, uh, I was blessed to be in a home where I lived under the authority of two great parents. But not all of us have had that luxury and maybe some of us have an issue with authority that goes all the way back to our childhood. Maybe it's a bad boss or a teacher or a coach that kind of, for whatever reason, seem to be against you. Maybe it's government officials, but they're almost always pretty good, wouldn't you say? It could even be, and this really gets difficult with faith, that maybe there's a pastor or a church leader in your life that ended up being more about themselves than about the mission, and you were disappointed by them. See, there's so many examples of bad authority, and that's part of why it can be hard to live peacefully under authority. But here's what I want you to know. A good king changes everything. When you have two parents that you know love you, and yes, this side of heaven, they may not be perfect, but you know they love you and have your best interest in mind, I can live under that. A good king, one that you know has your best intentions in mind, 
and cares about you and in many ways knows more than you. When it's a good king, it's not so hard to live under that rule. See, here's the difference. A bad king cares most about himself. Give me my taxes. Give me my honor. I'm going to do what I want. A bad king cares most about himself, but a good king cares most about his people. And when you have an authority that cares so much about you, I want to be a part of that kingdom. So, what kind of king is Jesus? And you might already be thinking that you know the answer to that, and I'm sure you do. But I want to make this come alive. I want you to see, in fact, I want you to feel how this king feels about you. You see, right after Jesus is questioned by Pilate about this charge of his kingship, there must have been some soldiers in the room who kind of overheard what they were talking about or at least knew the charge. Because Matthew records what happened next. Then the governor's soldiers, that would be Pilate's soldiers, took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered more soldiers, the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet purple robe on him because kings wear purple. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head because a king wears a crown. They put a staff in his right hand because kings hold scepters in their right hand. And then they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again and After they had mocked him, they took off the robe because they didn't want to waste a robe on Jesus. And they put his own clothes back on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. And when I read those words, like, they're emotional to me. I get emotional as I I think about those soldiers and how they made a complete mockery of the king of the universe. I, I get emotional as I think about Jesus. And what a what a man. What a savior. What a king. That he would just stand there. And take it. And it's not just the the physical part of it. But I think it's harder is like being mocked and knowing that at any point, because he is the king, he could have been done with this. 
I, I get emotional as I think about myself. And I think about a love <clears throat> that I cannot fathom. That did not need to endure any of it, but instead chose to endure all of it. And then ultimately taking all of it to the cross. The soldier's sin, the disciple's sin, and my sin and yours. Because Jesus, our victorious king on Easter, wants us to be with him in his kingdom, to live in the kingdom of heaven with him for eternity. Do we have a good king? That's the best. And so the second thing, number three, King Jesus promises to us his care. And I have to be honest, like this is not the perfect word care. I spent way too long trying to figure out what's the right word to encompass all that King Jesus wants to give us. Because it's it starts with forgiveness, but it's more than that. The king doesn't just want to save us. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to protect us and provide with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants us to be a part of his kingdom. So what topic did Jesus teach the most about? The kingdom, the kingdom. And before today, many of you didn't know that. After today, I hope, and I being one of them, never, ever forget. Because when it comes to being a part of the kingdom, it means two really important things. That King Jesus requires our allegiance and that King Jesus promises to give us care. And so, number four, here's your application. Live in or with joy because you have a great king. Let me ask this, getting really specific. Is there an area of your life where you've kind of chafed at submitting to King Jesus' will in your life? that you've had a really hard time with it. I'd, ask, I'd have you ask the question this week or maybe today, why? Why do you feel that way? And there might be some good reasons. But at the very same time, I'd ask you then, what does it mean to live with an awesome, awesome king? And maybe, maybe this will be the first time in your life where you're going to live with joy even in the midst of submitting to every area of Christ's authority in your life. Opportunity to live with joy knowing that you don't have a bad king. You don't even have a good king. You have a great king. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus, your son, the king of all kings, to be our Lord and our savior and to show us what a great king looks like. One, yes, Lord, you are in authority, but also you care for us tremendously. And I pray that this message of the kingdom, which your son Jesus taught about a lot, that it strikes a note in our hearts that we might find joy knowing that Jesus is our king and that may, we may live in a renewed trust in him, our king. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.